We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens, and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. SIMULTV.com. Roswell in the 21st Century is a detailed re-examination of the Roswell UFO crash case. I have studied the evidence for more than 30 years, and I now put that evidence under a microscope in a cold case examination of the facts. These facts might not please everyone. They are based on my comprehensive investigation that took years to complete, but they do lead to the conclusion that whatever fell was not built on Earth. The best of Project Blue Book is based on the 22-year-long investigation conducted by the Air Force. But the book goes far beyond that, bringing in evidence that was uncovered long after Project Blue Book was ordered terminated. Using facts that were unavailable to the Air Force investigators, I was able to prove that the Air Force manipulated the data and drew unrealistic conclusions about the UFO sightings reported to them. My different perspective shows there was more to Project Blue Book than even the Air Force knew. Both books are available at Amazon.com. Join Patty Conklin and Healing Within Radio each week. More than entertainment, Healing Within offers educational, useful tools for everyday life. Listen for help overcoming fear, anxiety, and depression. Patty knows about eliminating cancer, MS, dementia, Parkinson's, and a host of illnesses that we face every day. Life can be good. Life is good. All you need are simple tools to start changing your life. Start right now by visiting pattyconklin.com, P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N. No matter where you are in the world, you can work with Patty through Skype, phone, or in person, visiting one of her retreats in Georgia. Visit pattyconklin.com today or call our offices at 404 474 0086. That's pattyconklin.com or call 404-474-0086. Hey, uh, welcome. This is Dr. Lori and uh, I am guest hosting Healing Within for Patty Conklin. Um, I hope that everybody is doing well. My um, my thoughts go out to each and every one of us as we contend with uh, 
it's one of the biggest disasters on a mass scale that we've uh, had, on a, um, in, certainly in my lifetime. And so I'm honored today to be able to be speaking with Dr. George Everly. Dr. Everly is a founder of the International Critical Incident Stress Foundation called ICISF.org, the organization that pioneered debriefing models for first responders who face life and death on the job. And I've been very privileged to be part of a debriefing team um, that is directed by Paul Schweinler, also of ICISF. And uh, we, were, uh, we were involved in debriefing first responders and teachers at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas um, in, in uh, Parkland, Florida. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey Mitchell, who was a co-founder of ICISF, uh, was, also led the debriefing at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. A critical Incident Stress Management, or CISM, provides tools, information, and support for managing acute stress reactions. Dr. Everly teaches at the John Hopkins University Bloomberg School of Public Health, the John Hopkins School of Medicine, and is the author of the Psychology Today blog, When Disaster Strikes. He is an NGO delegate for ICISF at the United Nations. Uh, welcome, Dr. Everly. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Lawrence. A pleasure to be with you today. Thank you. Well, we are um, we're speaking of when disaster strikes. Disaster is striking, and, uh, and it's about to hit uh, very hard. I understand from my medical colleagues that uh, there are projections that within two weeks uh, the United States will be in the same critical situation as, as Italy. And so I was wondering... Uh, from your experience in uh, working with first responder populations, um, how are first responders able to handle a disaster of this scale? What are the most important three things that they need to keep in mind when, they, when they're handling mass casualty events where we're going to have um, as many as 2,000 people a day dying, according to, the, um, according to Dr. Fauci's uh, projections? Um, what can we learn from what first responders have to deal with? Well, first of all, I think we have to keep in mind that first responders are uh, professionals at what they do. This isn't their first rodeo, although it is on a scale that we've never seen before, potentially at least, if those projections are correct. But first responders deal with uh, tragedy often on a, on a daily basis. They've developed their own coping mechanisms, many of them just unique to each individual person. But one thing we, we see across the board is um, that it's important to stay task-focused when you're on the job. Um, and distractions are the things that really get in the way, both on the job as well as uh, at home. First responders, in my experience, are experts at staying task-focused in the situation. Um, we see this not just in first responders, but healthcare professionals in institutions, hospitals, it's clinics, etc. Uh, what what is often the problem, however, is when they are no longer task-focused, when they're no longer on the job, uh, and they're off the job, they're at home. Sometimes it's hard to be in the moment. So one of the things that we certainly suggest is uh, mindfulness, for lack of a better term. In other words, as one can best do, be in the moment. If you're on the job, be on the job. If you're with a family, be with the family. If you're with a friend, be with a friend. And if but you're by yourself in that moment, then be by yourself. What is most destructive 
is when left to its own devices, the mind tends to wander and revert into a form of worry and catastrophizing, quite frankly. It weaves a web and entanglement of dark imaginings, frank, frankly. And that's when we begin to lose control. And I think one of the most important things that first responders uh, who have had the longest, most successful careers remember is they can't always control what happens. They can always control how they react to it. That's a, that's a powerful point. And in terms of uh, controlling uh, reactions, what are some of the things that uh, you recommend that first responders do that our listeners could also model? Well, again, I think it's uh, to, just to reiterate the point, the most important thing is to be mindful of where you are with whom you are uh, uh, engaging, family, friends, coworkers, whatever. Mindfulness is really, really important. But I think it's also important to take care of yourself physically. The best way to take care of others is to take care of yourself. So we think of what things can you do? Are there distractions? Are there hobbies? Now, a lot of us are probably sitting in our homes right now because we can't go to work, uh, we can't go to the gym, we can't go to restaurants. Uh, so this is a little more challenging. Normally, I would say things that if you have an exercise routine at a gym, certainly do that. But we can certainly take some of those same routines. We Maybe not exactly the same as the gym, but we can exercise at home in one way or another. Getting out, taking a walk in the fresh air. Uh, is is very helpful. Distractions from whatever the burden might be are always helpful. And again, be in the distraction, be in that moment, and that's really important. Taking care of yourself physically, it's okay to treat yourself. Just don't go overboard with it um, from a nutritional standpoint. Uh, from an exercise standpoint. I think it's important to reach out to others, formally, informally. Uh, do you have a friend, a colleague, a family member that you can just really unload on? That that cathartic ventilation is helpful. As long as, it, again, we don't, it, it doesn't, it shouldn't go down that dark path of catastrophizing. It's often useful to find a person with whom you can make a plan. So uh, mutual support, a mutual aid plan of sorts. Uh, and again, that should be one or two people. And we can then rely on one another to help us through this thing. Absolutely. And that's really important because I was uh, actually just uh, reading last night in a book called Stress Management and Crisis Support for First Responders. It's a small book, and it talks about stress amplifiers and uh, feeling helpless is one, and certainly the criteria for trauma are a sense of helplessness and horror. But a stress amplifier is social isolation and um, violations of worldview. So when our world goes from feeling, you know, kind of as with first responders, they're they're always aware that we that the line between life and death is is razor thin at all times. But when the population in general is suddenly thrust into this life and death awareness um, type of mindset where um, we're not really prepared for the loss of a worldview that uh, maintained that the world is pretty much a predictable, safe place if you just follow your routines, um, and, you compare, and you combine that 
with uh, enforced social isolation, then uh, what can we do to to cope with the stress amplifiers? Well, again, those are the things, sometimes they are out of our control. Uh, the events around us are out of our control. Right. The uh, some of the amplifiers also are things like um, uh, death, injury to children, things that shouldn't yes. have happened. Human beings making things worse than they had to be. The the psychological results of that um, when when things really become somewhat psychologically toxic is when the worldviews are violated. And those worldviews, William James called them the Weldensick or Weldenjong. And it literally means a cohesive understanding or belief about the world that otherwise makes a scary place pretty safe. So we go out armed with these worldviews. And everything's okay until something happens to violate or destroy that worldview and then then we are feeling a sense of helplessness and what fuels that then is withdrawal it's very common when people are overstressed to withdraw become isolative what we forget is the number one predictor of human resilience is support of other people so we are inadvertently when we are withdrawing we are inadvertently withdrawing that number one support system and predictor of resilience Um, part of what we can do uh, not just fight isolation as I've talked about earlier about finding a friend forming a mutual aid agreement of sorts and getting out and be distracted Um, engaging in the world around you Uh, it's it sounds trite, uh, but it's amazing how bad things get when you're dark. When it's dark um, outside, it's, it's night. It's pitch black, and you're alone. Um, and but when the sun comes up in the morning, it's 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 a different thing. And and all you had to do was wait for the sun to come up, and all of a sudden your perspectives change. So sometimes, getting out of the environment you're in, changing perspectives, that can be helpful also. That's great. I'm speaking with uh, Dr. George Everly, and uh, we'll be right back after these messages. This is Dr. Laurie for Healing Within. wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2.00. 
Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you ready for spring? Well, now's the perfect time to head out to your local garden center and pick up a hydrangea from Proven Winners to add to your landscape. Proven Winners hydrangeas are gorgeous and simple to care for. There's just no better or easier way to enjoy a flower-filled summer. Take the time to plant one now and look forward to years of enjoyment and compliments. Look for Proven Winners hydrangeas in the white containers at your favorite garden center. Are you looking for psychic services that empower as well as provide accurate information? Jenny is a third-generation psychic with extensive esoteric training. A practicing professional intuitive for over 30 years, her accuracy is astounding. While most psychics can read what will happen to you if you don't change directions, Jenny understands the future is subjective. While there is a river of time we all traverse, that river has many waves, eddies, currents, and tributaries from which to choose. With Jenny as your guide, you can explore the many possible outcomes in the river of time and navigate your course to the one of your liking. Take control of your future. Book your life-changing session with Jenny today at www.gen-e.net. That's www.gen-e.net. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. It's formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past life lives that link some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet's day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com. Welcome back to Healing Within. I'm Dr. Lori sitting in for Patty Conklin. Um, and our guest today is actually one of my personal heroes and colleagues, Dr. George Everly. 
is a founder of the International Critical Incident Stress Foundation, which is an organization that pioneered debriefing models for first responders who face life and death um, on the job. Um, George, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you and Dr. Mitchell came to uh, found ICISF and uh, what needs were you expecting the organization would fill? Um, thank you. Uh, yes, I'll tell you a little bit about, that, about the background. It, it violates just about every career counseling principle there is where they say pick a career, look at people who are in that job, see how well you match up with that person and do things like that. There was no such career uh, when I was coming out of school. My first two degrees were in the business administration area and um, happened to have a little run-in with a case of high blood pressure when I was about 24 and mm -hmm. became very interested in non-pharmaceutical methods of controlling that. And my physician told me that it's probably not a good idea for me to start on medications at that age anyway. So I uh, had uh, learned about something called transcendental meditation, and I practiced that, uh, and uh, my blood pressure became normal, and I found that fascinating. And I wanted to find out what was causing the blood pressure to go up, and um, was, it, was the uh, declination that it all related to the meditation? Unfortunately, nobody could tell me. So, um, under the advice of my physician, um, he said, why don't you go study these things? I said, well, okay, fine. And uh, then I changed careers and went into medical physiology and uh, specialized in neuroscience and studied uh, parts of the brain that uh, were associated with stress and extreme stress and psychological trauma and things like that and wrote some of the early textbooks on post-traumatic stress disorder. And I was lecturing, and uh, a young man came up to me and said, uh, well, you're lecturing on stress. I work in a stressful industry. And I said, what is that? And he said, emergency services. He said, I'm a paramedic, mm -hmm. and we see a lot of terrible things, and uh, we don't know what mm -hmm. to do about it. And he said, I've been working to develop a, a program to help paramedics, EMTs, and police officers. I said, uh, what is that? And he said, critical incident stress debriefing. And the uh, gentleman's name was um, Jeffrey, Dr. Jeff well, actually, he wasn't a doctor back then, Jeffrey Mitchell. And, yeah, uh, yes. uh, and I said, so tell me more about, uh, about uh, stress and emergency services. And he shared some interesting data with me. And I'd... Uh, never seen stress levels that high and mm -hmm. I said wow what are, you, what are you doing and he said he said well that's what you know that's what the debriefing techniques critical and stress debriefing techniques that I'm working with and I said well it should go far beyond that I said what you need to do is create an organization that supports people in positions like this the health and well-being of these people and uh, he said yeah well, nobody has that kind of thing out there and I kind of cavalierly said oh, well, I can help you with that. Uh, by golly, I've got a business degree if I can do that. Uh, not fully understanding what I was about to get yeah. into. And we launched yeah. the uh, process in 1988. And how is it received in 1988? Um, you, you were introducing something that was uh, certainly brand new and to a certain degree 
um, actually to a high degree, kind of um, against the narrative that uh, professionals tell themselves when they go into uh, whether it's uh, you know frontline media, whether it's uh, being a police officer or uh, a, a fire a fireman, a firefighter, um, the, the code was always um, you, you're you're not supposed to show your feelings. Um, it, you put your feelings aside when you do your job, and you um, you you don't you you just kind of have to deal with them yourself in a in a private way. Is that not so? It was very much countercultural. Uh, we were very much going against the grain. Absolutely correct. Uh, and we were told that we had some modicum of potential success in the fire service, uh, perhaps with EMTs and paramedics, uh, but we certainly would not have any success at all in law enforcement. So it was it was rough going. Interestingly enough, if we look back now over 30 years, uh, law enforcement has uh, embraced the notion of law enforcement being a high-risk industry and the need to do something about it, perhaps even more so than the fire service. Interesting. So um, is there a difference in in terms of how you've been able to um, educate uh, law enforcement as opposed to uh, firefighters and rescue personnel about the need for critical incident stress debriefing? Are there different, um, different approaches? Well, I mean, we, we, we quickly moved away from the notion of just debriefing, which is getting people together in a small group for a discussion of a traumatic event. And we, while not abandoning that, obviously, we just expanded the model to be a more comprehensive continuum of care. And we call that critical incident stress management, a strategic planning system, if you will. Uh, Directly to your question, what did we do differently? I don't know that we did anything differently. It was just a matter of the right message at the right time in the right ears. And uh, we did have some interesting support uh, in the FBI at the time. Uh, They had founded what would become a very famous unit, the Behavioral Science Unit. And a little story that very few people know, uh, they are familiar with the FBI Behavioral Science Unit because of the world acclaim it's gotten for profiling serial killers. What most people don't understand is that the small group of agents that founded that unit, two agents in particular, uh, decided that rather than go into the criminal profiling arena, which everybody else was doing, that they would go into the area of providing psychological support for FBI agents. At the time, it was believed that if an FBI agent fired their weapon in the line of duty, they would have roughly only about four years left on the job, regardless of their age, regardless of how long they had been in the career. That was considered to be a a sentinel event that would terminate one's career. And they said that's unacceptable. So uh, one of those individuals, uh, Dr. James Reese, became a close personal friend and colleague, and he uh, brought myself and Dr. Mitchell to the FBI Academy on many, many occasions to lecture. So that may have helped in terms of the credibility of the FBI getting behind this notion of critical incident stress management. 
And um, over the years, you've worked on uh, a lot of, excuse me, different, um, the aftermath of a lot of different, uh, we would call them breaking news events or mass casualty events. Um, When we come back, I'd like to talk to you about how this particular disaster, uh, which looks like it's shaping up to be a mass casualty event, um, how is it going to affect us as a people, as citizens, and um, what can we learn from first responders about uh, our own stress management, um, how to handle social isolation, and uh, how to avoid stress uh, amplifiers uh, when we are um, social distancing or self-quarantining because of our exposure uh, to the uh, coronavirus or uh, COVID-19. So we'll be talking about that in uh, in a couple of minutes when we come back. Um, George, uh, just quickly, when you think back to all of the events that you have worked on um, in terms of critical incident stress management, are there one or two in particular that stand out for out to you as being particularly life changing or transformative to you in terms of how you work and how you see the world? Um, if you need a couple of seconds to think about that, uh, we can also no. pick that up on the next block. I no? can respond pretty quickly. Okay. Um, the uh, events of 9-11 were a life changer for me. I ended up spending two years working for the New York City Police and Columbia uh, College of Physicians and Surgeons. Uh, in the first Gulf War, I spent eight years working for the royal family of Kuwait and establishing, as far as we know, the world's first resiliency clinic uh, designed to treat uh, the individuals who had gone through the Iraqi occupation. And lastly, uh, SARS in Hong Kong. Uh, I had the privilege of working in that environment uh, in a consultative way and um, ultimately worked in the hospital system there. My goodness, so you have a lot of uh, experience in mega disasters, and uh, I'm really honored to be speaking with you now. Uh, We have a lot to talk about when we come back um, after the next segment. Uh, This is Dr. Laurie, and I am sitting in for Patty Conklin here on Healing Within. up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. 
Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Now it's time for a plant fact. Everyone loves lilacs, but there's more to them than meets the eye. Their scientific name is syringa, which derives from the Greek word syrinx for panpipes. This is because their stems are filled with a spongy pith that can be removed and the hollow wood played like a flute. You can get your own lilac or any of the award-winning Proven Winners flowering shrubs at your local garden center or visit provenwinnerscolorchoice.com. How would your life change if you could develop the business and personal skills that you need in order to make more money? Do you want to learn how to achieve your big life goals faster? Then go to findhiddenmoney.com and get the Goal For It online course. The course teaches you how you can set and achieve your biggest goals while completely overcoming the roadblocks to your goals so that you can realize your dreams and imagine more success. Go to findhiddenmoney.com. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide audience if you have seen a ufo had a close encounter seen a ghost bigfoot lake monster or a story that you would like to share or have investigated contact me rob mcconnell by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll free 1-800-610-7035 extension 143 and on skype xzone radio tv for more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, always remember Exxon Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hydes can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit IconQuality.com.
Hey, welcome back. I'm Dr. Lori, and we're speaking with Dr. George Everly, founder of the International Critical Incident Stress Foundation. ICISF is the organization that has pioneered debriefing and resiliency models for first responders who face life and death um, uh, on the job every day. And thank you so much for uh, giving your time today, Dr. Everly. I know that you're extremely busy, and I'm wondering if there are any any particular protocols that you are designing for this particular epidemic or pandemic that we're facing, um, because paramedics are really and, and EMTs are really going to be exposed to uh, a lot of uh, serious serious il- illness and critical critical care needs and even um, even uh, death when they when they go out on a call. Are there any resiliency protocols that you are offering first responders in advance of of having to face more mass casualties as a result of this virus? Well, we certainly have a national and international network of critical incident stress management teams that are well-trained to provide uh, psychological crisis intervention and provide this type of support, whether it's individually or uh, in small groups, the debriefings. Most of my work for the last week, frankly, has been working with uh, healthcare professionals in hospitals and clinics. Um, There is a a concern there, of course, that the patients will be treated there. Uh, Shifts will change. The risk of infection will be great there. So uh, we are working with uh, folks in terms of providing peer support and stress management protocols at various hospitals. And um, how has that been? How is that being received by the uh, personnel? Are they are they welcoming that, or is it just one more thing that they feel they have to uh, have on their to do list, another task, another project? Well, we've uh, just recently stood up the new protocols as of. yesterday and today. So it's a little early to tell. Uh, the feedback we've gotten so far, however, is that uh, people are thanking us for what we're doing. I think it's important to understand that this is a, to use the metaphor, a marathon, not a sprint. So mm-hmm. if you take a look at the guidance from uh, the uh, uh, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration, for example, they'll say disasters come in phases, and there are several phases. So the first would be the impact, where this is the shock of, oh, my gosh, something's wrong, something is really bad. Then there is kind of what they will refer to as a heroic phase. The heroic phase is where people uh, step up. They do extraordinary things to get the job done. Yeah, that's yeah. I think I'm talking too much. Anyway, bless um, you again. They, yeah, <laughs> they uh, they are uh, doing extraordinary things, and uh, after that, there's at some point fatigue sets in, uh, mm. and we call that phase the disillusionment phase, and that's when the greatest needs will be, um, and uh, that's what we're really gearing up for. Right now, I think we're in a transition from the impact to heroic phase. And that's going to last probably a week or more. 
maybe even longer. Mm -hmm. The disillusionment will uh, be stretched out, I fear, for quite some time. And in a way, if you take a look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the stock markets, um, they are a proxy, in my opinion, for the psychological well-being of the economy and maybe even the nation in, in many instances. And if I say that, and if I am correct, you can do a quick self-diagnosis in terms of how we're doing. Mm. It definitely does seem to be a reflection and definitely an influencer of the mood of the country. And uh, I think even people who do not have any investments in the stock market, when they hear the alarm in the uh, anchor, you know, anchor men and anchor women when they read the, the uh, copy, and it says, you know, stock market dropped uh, 3,000 points yesterday, or almost 3,000 points, and you can see the alarm registering on their face, then that alarm gets, of course, mirrored, uh, you know, back to millions of people. And uh, even if they know nothing about the stock market, they think, oh, my God, this is bad. This must be bad. This must mean that it's going to be bad. So it's kind of a, um, from a nonverbal communication perspective, um, it, it kind of it sets up a, an expectation of disappointment and disillusionment, and, uh, and that engenders fear. What are your thoughts? Well, I think, again, if you take a look at the stock markets and you imagine the profiles that you see that are on the TV every day, those charts, if you look at them almost as a heartbeat, you should be worried. And the reason we should be worried is not so much that the heartbeat is dropping in amplitude and rapidity, but which that's certainly of concern. But what's more striking to me is the variability. In other words, what I mean by that is it's down 3,000 points yesterday. It's up 700 points today. It was down 2,000 points a few days ago. It was up 2,000 mm-hmm. points. That mm-hmm. speaks very loudly to me that there is uncertainty in the markets, and the markets despise uncertainty. Now, if we take mm-hmm. the stock market as a proxy for the human mind, there are a few things that the human mind has greater disdain for than uncertainty. Fear is one thing. People think fear is, is, is the worst thing. It's not. Fear is based around a definable event, anticipated or real. But it's definable. Once you fear something, once you know what it is, you can develop a defense against it. What this stock market tells me is we don't know what's going on. And therefore, we don't know what to do about it. If the stock market is a proxy for the human mind, we translate it and we say, people don't know what's happening, and they don't know what to do about it. Most people don't want to be rescued per se. They want to be empowered. They look to sources of authoritative information and say, what should I do? The information is um, coming, but sometimes it's uh, uh, contradictory. And, um, and, and that's not the fault of the authorities. It's the nature of what we're dealing with. And so these are, these are troubling times, and I think we are just beginning to see things and how they will play out. 
And I think that that's, a, that's an excellent, uh, an excellent operating metaphor for the stock market as a proxy for the human mind. Um, you know, in in my book, The Five Gifts: Discovering Hope, Healing, and Strength When Disaster Strikes, uh, which I'm really honored uh, that you've reviewed and uh, find that it's relevant and and helpful. Um, I talk about the difference between emotional first aid and the need for um, long-term, I call them gifts, but you can call them resiliency resources that are really spiritual values that occur in uh, many different countries and cultures and spiritual traditions around the world. And that these are what we need for the long haul because um, the United States, we haven't really ever encountered a long period of adversity, at least uh, not during my lifetime. I think the last one probably would have been World War II. And those five gifts are humility, patience, empathy, forgiveness, and growth. And we talk about post-traumatic growth. But uh, when we're talking about uncertainty, uh, I think the first gift that we need uh, to accept uncertainty uh, without trying to squirm or, or kind of jump to a solution uh, before we really know what the source of the problem is. And the source of the problem sometimes is how we respond to uncertainty. And the gift of humility can help us to come to terms with the fact that there are forces greater than we are. There are natural forces, um, there are geological forces, and uh, there are spiritual forces, but there are definitely unseen forces that are greater than we are, and that humility is what uh, allows us the grace or gives us the grace to to just stay in the moment and accept that um, things are, are imprecise and uh, we're, we're really dealing with a lot of very, very big unknowns that affect our survival, both as individuals and as families and as communities and, uh, and, and even as a global population. Um, what are your thoughts on humility as, a, uh, as an element of resilience? I think it's really important, and I think it plays into what I said earlier. Um, control what you can. With humility, accept the things that are out of your control. The problem is that we have this illusion that we can control things when in reality we have no real control over them. So it's, it's, it's a tough lesson for many people to learn that we're not as much in control as we thought we were. And this is a time to be humble. But again, what can you control? You can control how you react to things. You mentioned my uh, uh, the blog, When Disaster Strikes. I just put a post up uh, several days ago called The Psychology of Viral Pandemic, where I include certain specific tips on what leaders should do and what people should do. The, des- the desire there is not to cure the problem. I can't do that. That's out of my control. Now it's time for a plant fact. Roses are one of the oldest ornamental plants in cultivation, with a history going back over 5,000 years. The philosopher Confucius wrote about them, and Roman emperors treated their guests to dining on carpets of rose petals, with thousands more raining down from above. 
Become a part of this epic history by planting a proven winner's rose. Just look for the white containers at your local garden center or visit provenwinnerscoloredchoice.com. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens, and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about SIMULTV.com. SIMULTV.com. In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past life lives that link some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. 
is formulated from zoolite whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. Welcome back to Healing Within. I'm Dr. Lori sitting in for Patty Conklin, and I'm honored to be speaking with Dr. George Everly, a founder of the International Critical Incident Stress Foundation, an organization that pioneered debriefing models and mental health models, really, for the first responder community in the United States and now around the world. Um, Dr. Everly, you were just speaking about your uh, Psychology Today blog, and uh, we're talking about what what leaders need to do and, and what people need to do. And I'm wondering if you could uh, continue expanding on that. Sure, thank you. So, again, the, the notion is that um, by posting things on a blog, I'm not going to cure the problem. What I can do is provide guidance for people to cope in the best manners possible. And that happens at two levels, I think. One is at the organizational or societal level where we speak to leaders. There are things that leaders need to do. And then there are things that individuals can do for themselves as well. So we've been conducting research on leadership for quite some time, and we've been able to identify the uh, most salient factors that leaders need to characterize or exhibit in times like this. We call that resilient leadership. And the first thing that we need from leaders, our research tells us, is that they need to be optimistic and future-oriented. They need to be thinking past, certainly in the moment, but past the moment as well. They need to send a message of optimism, not despair. We have a classic example of that that probably changed the world. Paul uh, Renault was president of France as World War II broke out. And uh, when France was initially invaded by the Germans, his response was pessimism, despair, and hopelessness. On the other side of the English Channel was someone quite different, Winston Churchill, who exuded optimism. The problem was Renault's pessimism resulted in the defeat of the French army, even though the French army was larger than the German army. So attitudes really matter. Leaders must exude optimism. The second thing that leaders must do is they must be decisive. They cannot be afraid of making a decision. Unfortunately, many governmental agencies uh, discourage, shall we say, decisiveness. And um, they, they, they really advocate for the status quo. Don't make waves. Don't take risks. And yet in situations like this, risk-taking is really quite necessary. Another characteristic that we find is important is open communications and frequent communications. And finally, some sense of trust, a moral compass. Why should I, as a member of the community, believe anything my mayor or city council or governor is going to say? They must have some modicum of trust. Otherwise, all of the messaging, all the open communications, all of the optimism, it fails. 
So those four things define what we refer to as resilient leadership. And this has been written about by the, uh, in a book by the Institute of Medicine and the National Academies in Washington calling, called a, a, resilient, a ready and resilient workforce. And that sounds really important uh, for anybody in the workforce to know about, um, whether you're in leadership or management or um, even, even a staff member. Um, I and I was kind of thinking about the uh, the Belgian king uh, who said on the on the anniversary of uh, a terrorist attack a number of years ago. Um, he said, "Let us be tender. Let us be tender with each other. Let us be kind. Let us be compassionate." And um, and I think that uh, this is this is a time when we also want our leaders to show that they are empathic or that they are compassionate. And understanding the uh, confusion that uh, that everybody is feeling, because we're now we're now living in a big unknown. It's as if we walked through a doorway that had a giant question mark in the doorway, and we all had to walk through. And now we're in unknown territory. And um, very important uh, that we can trust that our leaders are going to be compassionate. Um, that they're going to um, that they're trustworthy, that they're going to be decisive, as you said, that they have some kind of a moral conscience that we can feel is uh, is reliable and compatible with uh, what we have, what the values that that we have integrated into our into our lives as well. And um, I think that's what we're looking for whenever we're looking for a captain to hold the ship steady. And uh, yes. I thank you for for putting that putting that out there. Of course, you started you started to say uh, yes, yes. Uh, so, Do you have any thoughts on that? You, you, you also asked about the personal side of things, and right, not just the the uh, uh, leadership, uh, because right. again, ultimately, I think most people don't want to be taken care of per se. They want to be empowered. So what are the things that our research has shown empowers people? Or if we said another way, if we look at people who seem to be, I won't say immune, but almost immune psychologically to these types of situations, and certainly the people that are highly resilient in these types of situations. And as I referenced in an earlier segment, um, this is based on the experiences I've seen all over the world. I've been to 39 countries on six continents and studied almost every major disaster since about uh, 1989 or so. Mm. And there are themes that recur over and over again. And what we find is that people that are stress immune or highly resilient uh, tend to be people that have support systems. They tend to be people that are highly tenacious. Uh, They don't accept failure once, twice, three times as a fait accompli. Rather, they see failure as a stepping stone to success. They see failure as something that is a learning opportunity. I think that must be kept in mind currently because we don't fully understand the impact of this virus. Uh, the case fatality rate is highly debated this, at this point. It was argued to be 3%. Um, I have studied the numbers. 
uh, I've taken a look at as many angles as, as I can. And, and my estimation, although I'm not an epidemiologist, nor am I a virologist, just by disclaimer here, uh, my guess is that it's going to be far less than 1%. It may actually be in the upper range of a severe seasonal flu. I'm hoping I'm right. Uh, but I so too. Part, but one of, what, one of the things that we find is that the uh, the models that we've used up to this point have been uh, questionable. Uh, we're not sure the validity of the data coming out of China. One of the best models you can look at, frankly, is the epidemiology of what happened on the Diamond Princess. So if you take a look at what happened there, you find that the fatality rate is defined largely by age brackets. And that's important. Right. Because if, if the fatality rate for people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s is almost zero, but the fatality rate for people 60, 70, and 80 is 3%, that screams public health issues at us. It says, okay, right. Uh, we need to refocus our interventions for the high-risk groups. And again, I'm not an epidemiologist, but this type of analysis, I think, is really, really important. So we may have a remarkably poor outcome in this country, but it may be in a certain age range. If we know that going in, maybe we can dampen and mitigate that, that outcome. So again, well, I, I, tenacious. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, oh, please go on. Sorry. No, I'm just saying that in terms of personal characteristics, tenacity yeah. in using failure, and even ambiguity at some point to to uh, to to strive to learn more. Well, ambiguity is very important because when we're dealing with uncertainty, um, you know, there are no firm edges. There's no black or white way. And we have to really transition into um, understanding moments of gray when things are not so clear or proceeding through a fog. Uh, and I really think that a lot of the information, uh, when it keeps getting reiterated over and over again, um, the angles kind of shift in how, it, how it's being presented. And it's, uh, it's very confusing. Um, I've noticed, and, and the reason I kind of jumped in there was, was when you're talking about the 3%, um, I'm in a high-risk category. I, I'm 72 years old, and uh, I have chronic lung disease from exposure to dust from the World Trade Center that was in my office. Um, I've had this since 2004, and um, and it's it's progressed. And I I say that because now I'm a statistic, and I can detach from my own personal self and look at the kind of map of statistics that's being presented. And I can say, well, 80% of people have a mild case and they recover. And I could be one of them because I have always recovered in the past uh, from bouts of severe bronchitis. So, so perhaps I'm a fighter and perhaps I'll be in the 80%. And then there's the 3% or between 2 and 3% um, who will um, contract the virus and, uh, and it will be fatal. And then what happens to the other 16 or 17 percent in the middle who are not accounted for. If 80 percent recover and uh, 3 or 3.4 percent die, then what happens to the people in the middle? 
We have 17% who neither recover nor die. Now it's time for a plant fact. Roses are one of the oldest ornamental plants in cultivation, with a history going back over 5,000 years. The philosopher Confucius wrote about them, and Roman emperors treated their guests to dining on carpets of rose petals, with thousands more raining down from above. Become a part of this epic history by planting a proven winner's rose. Just look for the white containers at your local garden center, or visit provenwinnerscoloredchoice.com.